welcome back to the Head Right Out podcast. And if you're here for the very first time, welcome. I hope you're here to stay. My name is Zoe Langley Woffen, and I am your host. And I'm here to help introduce the idea of doing something that scares you, to kind of push yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit. And today, in order to take us on this resilience journey a little bit more, I am talking to a very special lady indeed. Uh, her name is Cherry, and she's going to be taking us through her journey of living an adventurous life. Now, I have to just say here a little bit of a thing that has been going on with my internet connection. I think it's mine. I'm not sure. But please, please make some allowances for the quality here. Our connection was unstable and we had being completely disconnected at the start of our chat. Uh, once we were reconnected, it was it was a bit better. And although there was some occasional latency there in the audio, we decided to run with it. So I will have edited out a lot of the long pauses that you get when you have a delay in a call, but hopefully it doesn't completely detract from the conversation because it was a wonderful conversation that we had. So Cherry shares some awesome advice with us about keeping a positive mindset through tough times, which we all get, and how best to deal with those problems and how best to deal with a crisis when it hits as well. She's a, a woman of much wisdom and an absolute joy to talk to. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Okay, hello everybody and welcome to the Head Right Out podcast. Uh, today I have a very special guest and she is tuning in with us all the way from the United States. Her name is Cherry Hamrick and I have a wonderful introduction uh, to offer you before we get right into that interview with Cherry. Cherry Hamrick is based in the United States and was a ballet teacher for 20 years before making a career change into becoming a librarian for 23 years. At 50, she studied for a master's degree, which enabled her to become a library director, at which point she had the joy and satisfaction of being a major part of building a big new library for her community. She loved the construction part of it so much that she says if she could have had a third career, it would have been to become a construction manager. I absolutely love that already. <laughs> Cherry has run on all of the seven continents. She has been in a boat on six of the seven continents. And in addition to working for that master's degree at 50, she also ran her first marathon. She wore the mantle of race director for 12 years at the library, putting on the run for reading and the Jingle Bell 5K for women. She is the vice chair of the Ingham County Parks Board and she's a founding board member of the Friends of Lansing Regional Trails. Although she didn't start marathons until she was 50, Cherry has now run seven marathons. Bayshore, Detroit twice, that's running once and race walking at once, Big Sur, China, Chicago and New York. She describes herself as an avid runner, I'd say, <laughs> walker, kayaker and has done yoga since she was 12 years old. Cherry has travelled to Antarctica despite being shy and not knowing anyone and has undertaken a daily lockdown walk with a friend and never stopped current total of those walks is now at over 2,000 miles and over 500 days of walking. 
and she even managed to wear a hole in the bottom of her cast boot that she was wearing for a stress fracture. Cherry's biggest challenge was in 2020, on her final continent. The plan was to safari for five days, do a partial climb of Mount Kilimanjaro for three days, run a half marathon, and then fly home to rest, I assume. (laughs) And that was supposed to be for a total of two weeks, with travel time included. Let's say that expedition didn't go quite as planned, despite two years of organising the trip. And I believe that there was another cast boot that became an essential part of Cherry's attire due to another stress fracture, this time in her foot, and a hellish illness contracted in Tanzania that gradually sucked the life from her. And I believe that also forced her to be hospitalised on her return to the US. But I sense that this woman is a determined soul. She is also 73 years old. Now, she went to set foot on Killy, so let's find out what happened. Cherry, welcome to the Head Right Out podcast. My goodness me, what a tale, what a whole wealth of tales you have there. What hurdles were you faced with when travelling to Africa? Because that's, it sounds like it was your biggest challenge, to date at least, and that it threw all sorts of things at you. What was going on there? It certainly did. And the best part of the whole adventure was through the whole thing, all three of us that were on the trip had such a good attitude, which I appreciated from the girls that not everybody rides in an ambulance in Tanzania and not everybody experiences coming down the mountain the same way you went up. (laughs) Just they were so, so wonderful about just embracing what was happening. I mean, that's part of travel and life. Things change quickly and you have to figure it out. So what caused you to be in the ambulance? I had somehow, I have a theory, but I'm not sure how, come in contact with the water there. I thought I was really careful, but I think maybe during the tent shower, I was looking up to pull the chain maybe and got some water in my mouth. I don't know, but I got an amoeba is what the doctor there called it and just had not real pleasant, constant diarrhea and just no appetite. And I tried to cover it up. I didn't want anybody to worry. And I took some anti-diarrhea medicine, which helped the first few days so I could keep going on the safari. And when it was time to climb, the guide said, how are you feeling? And I said, well, I've had a little diarrhea. So to be fair, he didn't understand the severity of my problem. But starting up Mount Kilimanjaro, really weak, (laughs) very dehydrated, and wearing an air cast that came up. But I'm pretty determined. And I just wanted to, I was there to climb that mountain. So our guide was wonderful. He helped me, pulled me up over things. My foot was really getting moved around in the cast because the ground is so different. So my foot hurt a lot. And when we got to the that first camp, because I read a lot about it, and I was so excited to actually be in a camp on Mount Kilimanjaro. That was such a thrill. And I'm glad if I just, I just knew I didn't have the strength or the ability the next day was twice as long. And I just knew I, I couldn't, I couldn't manage that. So we had to come back down the next morning and there was an ambulance waiting for me. 
and they took me to a clinic to get some medicine and that helped. I don't know how much you want me to go on about this. Oh, no, you're not going on at all. I'm absolutely taken in. I know a little bit of the story, but just hearing you recount that story is just so absorbing. So, no, please do carry on. Okay. (laughs) So we were able to get into our hotel easily, which was nice because it was early. Everybody was so accommodating and so helpful and so caring. It was really wonderful. It was really a good experience. (laughs) But at that point, I was so dehydrated. I didn't have any saliva, so I couldn't eat because it would make me gag or throw up. So the people at the hotel kept trying to get me to eat, and I just... (laughs) They would bring food to my room and I just couldn't. And the good part was the girls, my daughter and and another woman her age, went ahead and had adventures on their own, which was wonderful. I was so pleased. I really wanted them to keep climbing, but they chose not to. And I was pretty much in bed. (laughs) Fortunately, it was a beautiful hotel and we had a little patio so I could see outside, but I just, I just couldn't do anything. But because it was my seventh continent and I determined to run I had a special insert from my my shoe that was metal that I had made before I went to Tanzania hoping that would help if I could go without the boot with my stress fracture so I put that on and I ran around the hotel a little bit not a lot in Tanzania I could see Mount Kilimanjaro literally from my room. And I just felt like I had to do that. And then I was, it stopped, the medicine stopped my symptoms enough to be okay flying home. I had to have a wheelchair because I was so weak. I couldn't, I really couldn't stand up or walk very far. So when I got home, (laughs) my husband took me immediately to the emergency room and I was hospitalized and my potassium was 2.3, which I found out later it's quite dangerously low mm, yeah. and I was severely dehydrated, obviously. And I'd lost about seven pounds at that point. So I was in the hospital for three days and got a lot of like got potassium infusions and a lot of hydra- constant hydration and went home and took about a week of, you know, not doing a whole lot, but I'm pretty healthy and I recover quickly from things. So mostly it was just everybody does it, (laughs) the good and the bad. It's, It's amazing, isn't it? How, if you are fit and healthy, how quickly you can recover from something. But I mean, that, that sounded particularly harrowing and you know, you've gone through a lot there. You've got your boot, you, you know, the air cast on. And so you've got pain from your stress fracture. You've got this whole ordeal that you're dealing with, with the diarrhea. And then back at the hotel, the, the sickness or the gagging. Uh, I mean, you must have felt absolutely rotten. And the, the diarrhea must have just been absolutely awful to deal with. When you're, It's bad enough when you're at home, but when you're overseas, I think it just exacerbates it even more. Oh, my goodness. So you've come through that. And do you tell yes. that story now with a sense of fondness or a sense of adventure? You know, what feeling do you find yourself recounting that adventure, that trip? How does it make you feel inside now that you can see it from that's the other a, side? <laughs> that's a very good question. I haven't thought about it that clearly. I tend to see everything as an adventure. <laughs> And again, I appreciated how much everybody just thought, okay, this is what we have to deal with. 
I can't do anything. The girls went ahead and did adventures on their own for a few days. And and some of it, I didn't know until later how really dangerously sick I was, um, which helped <laughs> to not know at the time. And I think I don't remember maybe a lot of it, but this is an odd thing. The only thing that I could eat, my daughter had bought a little can of Pringles potato chips. It was literally the only thing I could eat. And I don't know why, (laughs) maybe the salt, I don't know. But so, you know, I had kind of an okay time in the hotel room. I knew I was missing things, which I felt badly about, but. I don't know. I, I'm glad I survived. I don't think I was in mortal danger, but it was an adventure. I see it as an adventure riding down the mountain in an ambulance <laughs> and the change in plans, how everybody adapted well, and the caring of the people I was with, the guide and the doctor and everybody. So I guess I think it was just more of an adventure. Yeah. And maybe that's painting with a, a good brush to make it seem happier (laughs) but then perhaps that's your mindset as well you know the way you you think about things I mean I I had a similar situation two years ago where I went on my very first skiing trip Um, I was with the school that I was working at and I had an accident on the mountain and yeah basically I had to be ferried off the mountain it wasn't by ambulance but it was by ski rescue and I just see that as the most exciting thing that happened to me that day I was in masses of pain I'd torn um, my ACL and MCL in my knee and partially dislocated my kneecap but you know I'm, I'm there with my phone saying please if I'm going to go down this mountain on ski rescue you have to take a photograph for me I'm not going home without that <laughs> so yeah it was all part of the adventure Yes, it is. And I think if you travel enough, you learn you have to adapt quickly to situations. And that's funny that you said that because I did take a picture of my ambulance driver because he was very dapper, had a cool hat on. And (laughs) the things you think of, you know, at, at the moment and to get back down the mountain, literally thinking again about how I felt about it. It's hard to recreate that now, talking about it in camp and realizing I just could not do anymore. The most crushing thing to me was to realize that I I thought somebody will just come and get me, but you can't, you cannot get vehicles up that high. I think we were at about 10,000 feet at that point. And to realize that I had to turn around and go back down the way I came up just at the time that was just soul crushing. I was just, (laughs) I just could not imagine or face that, but I didn't have a choice. So the next morning we did it and everybody helped and we survived. Then we got down to where we could get in a vehicle. And then it was another hour into the town. But looking back, that didn't, I thought, why was that such a big deal? But at the time that was just soul crushing to think I, I had to walk all the way back down. I've got to cut in there because I'm really interested to know what did you draw on to get you back down the mountain? I mean, we can say it's just resilience, but it's never just resilience. It It comes from a whole toolkit of being able to deal with hard stuff that is thrown at you. So was there something in particular that you drew on? Do you have a mantra that you recite over and over in your head to talk yourself out of all of the negative thoughts. What do you do to get yourself through stuff like that? 
That's another good question that I haven't thought too deeply about, I guess. I'm just very determined. If I say I'm going to do something, I do it. (laughs) And I just knew I was determined. I knew I could do it. I mean, I knew in the back of my mind, yes, I could walk all the way back down with a lot of help, but I, I never doubted that I could do it, I guess. I was just devastated at the time and hoping I had the energy to do that. But I think I always knew I could. I don't know if that's a good explanation. No, that's fine. I mean, sometimes it is just something deep down inside of us. We just know, don't we? And it's that decision as well. You just knew that there was absolutely no way you were going to be able to go any further. So there had to come a point where you had to face, although you were determined to guess up further, you had to face that you couldn't. So that took a lot of determination to understand that and to deal with that. As you said, it was crushing. But what a story. So you came back and you were in hospital for a few days. And so you're in recovery. Thank goodness you're in recovery. And then I believe lockdown happened after that, didn't it? Not not long after and partly into your recovery at home. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened at the beginning of lockdown? Yes, yes. We got home um, March 3rd, I believe. And then I was pretty much just at home for a week. And then I was feeling better. And I have friends that I walk with and we walked and then we got together for lunch because they wanted to hear about my trip. And at the time, this friend of mine who also works in the library got an email from the library saying, don't come to work tomorrow because we're all, you know, lockdown was happening. And so he just looked at me and said, so do you want to walk again tomorrow? I don't have to work. <laughs> and I said, sure. So <laughs> the, the way, you know, things just start kind of funny. We thought, oh, it'll be a week or two or something. And it just went on and on. <laughs> and then when he did go back to work, it was more challenging because he worked till seven some nights and it was really interesting. And I think, again, we both like the challenge of that, the challenge of how to figure out where and when the two of us could meet every single day. That's, that is quite a mammoth undertaking when somebody is working and yeah, you have to kind of negotiate and manage that time. I know if I've been doing a challenge, I think the longest I've continued a challenge is a hundred days. So to continue it for how many days exactly is it now? 514. <laughs> wow. That is just incredible. That is absolutely incredible. So you you know you're you're closing in on the second year almost. You're you're closer to your second year than <laughs> than you are to the the end of the first year. And do you see any sign of that stopping or do you plan to continue or you know what are the plans with that? Do you feel like you can't stop now or you're just enjoying it? <laughs> Well, um, kind of kind of all of those things. I had done, you know, like a running streak for a year just to see if I could do it. But doing a streak with another person is a whole other level mm. of complication. You can't just at 11 o'clock at night say, oh, shoot, I forgot and jump on the treadmill and run for a mile. It's just another level. And honestly, especially during pandemic, it was wonderful to have a reason to go outside. 
and to meet somebody else and to walk and talk. And we laughed a lot. And people ask what we talked about all that time. And my example is because we we walked a lot of neighborhoods. We spent a lot of time one day talking about when they started attaching garages to houses. (laughs) You know, and we were fine trying to figure that out. (laughs) Oh, it's amazing. When you're walking and talking with somebody, what does come up? I've walked with many people, just random people that I've met along the way. And yeah, after you've kind of got over the first few minutes of life story, you, you do end up getting into some really interesting discussions. I'm interested to know, have there been any disagreements with the two of you in that time? <laughs> That's a very good question, too. No, we just we laugh. Every, we have the same sense of humor. And in the U.S., in this particular time, we have the same political views. <laughs> I think if we didn't, it might not have lasted this long. <laughs> but we, and we talk a lot of library stuff. I don't know, we just get along very well. I've known him for a long, long time through the library. And he's just a wonderful person. And I don't know, now it's become a real quest for us, but we're still having fun. And we're still trying to work it out every day. Wow, that's fabulous. And what better way of getting out into the outdoors and keeping fit? Uh, if you can't run, if you can't climb a mountain, just just go out for a walk. And, and is there a, a distance, a particular distance that you like to do? If, have you got an optimum distance that you do every day? We agreed early on, if, once we realized that this was going to be a thing, and the, the usual standard for a streak is a minimum of a mile. So we joke that our rule book says we have to do a mile. Some days that's all one of us has time for. One day when it was pouring rain, we did our mile under a picnic shelter roof, (laughs) just going around and around and around. (laughs) And in the winter here, it gets very cold, very snowy, very icy. So sometimes we would have to adapt. If it was just too icy, we would slip and slide through our mile and call it good. But then other days when it's nice and we have the time, we've done 10 miles. I think 12 miles might have been our longest walk so far. So we really bounce around. Yeah. In a given week, we'll do a mile, five miles, eight miles, just depends. Yeah, that's good. You're changing it around and it's whatever suits your life on that particular day in the moment, isn't it? Wow. So I'm interested to know, Cherry, you've obviously done quite a lot there when you're experienced in ballet and yoga as well in the past. It doesn't seem to phase you about embarking on new things and you've changed up what you've done in your life career wise. And then you went on to study your master's. So how has your life been changed, do you think, by your challenges you've chosen to do? Yes, I like challenges. I always have. I like thinking of something and then thinking, okay, how do I do that? How do I get there in the case of traveling? And that's one thing I oddly I liked about being a race director was on race day, something's going to happen, but you don't know what it is. And I really like that challenge of figuring things out when they happen that you can't plan for. Mm. I And I don't know, it's like that challenge. And I, circling back to my two careers, <laughs> I also always felt that you should change careers every 20 years just to start fresh, learn something new, be with new people. I just always, I just, I like change and I like challenges and I should give a nice shout out to my husband who does not care about traveling. (laughs) 
<laughs> but totally supports and helps in any way he can for me to have my adventures. All about going with me, but he really enjoys the adventures that I have. Brilliant. Big up, Mr. Cherry. That's fabulous. <laughs> so do you feel then that being faced with the unknown in those challenges or in those new lifestyles or new careers that you've chosen, is it the unknown that you thrive on? I think possibly. And I think knowing that whatever it is, I can figure it out. I can figure out how to deal with it. I can figure out what I need or where to go or who to ask. I like figuring things out, how to, like on Kilimanjaro, now what's going to happen? <laughs> I just find that intriguing. Yeah. Oh, wow. You have such a strong history of resilience. And I love that because I've been trying to build my resilience for a long time and I'm certainly getting there. I'm not there yet. I think we are always learning as far as that goes. I think, like you say, just knowing you know what to do in particular situations or you can be flexible you can work around a problem and think around a problem to actually find the solution to that knowing that you've got that toolkit in there somewhere to be able to handle that is great and that's what resilience is all about and this podcast really is all about is just trying to offer other women that that knowledge that they have that capability too but if we've got to find it, we've got to tap into it, haven't we? And it's not until we start having experiences. And we don't have to climb Kilimanjaro or jump out of an airplane to have those uh, strengthening experiences. Sometimes it's just doing those things that push us out of our comfort zone and into the unknown, like changing your job, <laughs> going for a new career. Yes. And, and I think, to me, the biggest thing is just to not panic. <laughs> I've been in a lot of situations where I could have panicked, but if you don't panic and just say, okay, I have to figure this out. Who do I talk to? Where do I go? If you don't panic and just stop and think, I can figure this out. I think that makes a big difference. That's actually really good advice. And I think what I've discovered about myself is that I tend not to panic. I'm very good at not panicking. Actually, I think I'm more of a warrior. So beforehand, before I go off to do something, I will worry a lot about it, perhaps unnecessarily. But when I'm actually in the moment, I'm able to tune in to what I need to get done without the panic pants going on. <laughs> so you were doing the splits in a photograph I saw of you recently. That <laughs> is something I have never ever been able to do, Cherry. <laughs> and I just, I looked on that with with absolute awe and envy and, and wow in every aspect. And is that because you have kept up with your yoga? Is it your years of ballet? How have you managed to keep yourself in a body that is still able to do the splits? And it's seemingly so easily. <laughs> There's a funny story about that. When I was dancing and I was 20, my teacher, who actually had studied at the Royal Academy in London, she was English. She was wonderful and she was turning 40 and she was doing a routine and it included the splits. And we were all amazed that she was that old <laughs> and could do the splits. I mean, we just kept saying she's 40. How can she still do the splits? And said from a 20 year old perspective. And I thought, OK, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be able to do the splits all my life. And that just started a challenge for me. And it's just a matter of doing them every day. If you do them every day, you can just keep doing them. <laughs> so it, it just becomes part of your practice. Yes. 
And do you practice yoga as well daily? Not daily. I'm not as good as I should be. <laughs> but I just always loved yoga for the stretching and the flexibility, especially as I get older. I'm not quite as flexible in my back as I used to be. I can still do a back bend kind of, but even just trying it is good for me. Yeah. And and just stretching just feels so good. As you know, years of being a dancer, just stretching. I just always want to stretch. I gonna I'm just gonna change uh, tack slightly here, and I'd like to ask you about the menopause, if that's okay. Just in terms of, did you find that you had any difficulties with either confidence or body movement? Things that you used to be able to do, you suddenly found you had to work harder at. And when you started going through menopause, because I know there's going to be a lot of people listening to this that are perhaps coming up to that time. And would love to know your story. For me, I think, again, you know, I just always had stretched. I always had moved. I didn't become a runner until I was in my 30s, just because I had small children and life. But I did find I had to work a little harder at stretching and be more consistent and more dedicated to stretching and moving because I knew it could have happened that it, it goes away quicker the older you get. So that was just always part of my life to try to counteract that, I guess. No, that's great. It was just lovely to see that you're still able to do the splits and that you've obviously come through that menopause time really, really positively. So do you have any advice that you can offer to midlife women, Cherry? You know, some, I don't know, any any nuggets pertaining to resilience or adventure or anything that you just carry around with you that you live by, what would you say? One thing I thought of recently for totally different reasons is I realized I don't live my life in fear. I don't think what's the worst thing that could happen that's going to happen. So I'm not going to do it. I always think I can do stuff. I always think, why not try this? Why not do this? I think I just don't want to live in fear Mm. and I don't. That's good. You've actually managed to train your brain to do as you tell it. (laughs) There's a lot of people that that do struggle still with that. Yeah, you've you've got that down to an art then. That's fabulous. And just a, a, a couple of other little things. Actually, this one isn't quite so little, but if it's if we've not talked about it already, is there a head right out moment that you can think of something where you really felt you stepped out of your comfort zone, something that you thought you were totally not capable of doing but you did you succeeded (laughs) yes I (laughs) I had always been fascinated by Antarctica I read all the books Um, Robert Falcon Scott was my hero and especially the British like daring do of going to Antarctica in crazy conditions and Shackleton I just always wanted to go to Antarctica but It was very expensive, still is, and nobody wanted to go with me. (laughs) And I just thought, I just have to go. And I'm kind of a shy person. And I thought, how can I get on a boat with 100 people that I don't know (laughs) and go to Antarctica? And I just thought, I just really want to do this. And and it was quite a life-changing moment to realize I couldn't do that. I didn't have to have somebody with me that I knew. And I emailed the, the, you have to go as a group to get there. And he said, don't worry about it because most people will be by themselves on the trip 
because it's expensive and not that many people want to go there. (laughs) So once I heard that, I thought, well, that makes sense. And I just met amazing people. I was like the least traveled of all of these people, had a fabulous roommate, and it was such a wonderful experience. And I just really had to push myself to do it. And I realized I can go places by myself. So that was a big one for me. So that's your head right out moment. Wow. And can I ask, how old were you when you went to Antarctica, Jerry? It was eight years ago. So I have to do the math. So I'd have been 65, 64, maybe. Okay. 64. Yeah. So yeah. that's, yeah, that for a lot of people, that would totally be off their radar, even though it might have been their dream. It, it, some people would say now at that age I'm not going to go there but that gives us a lot of hope and yeah congratulations for having such an amazing head right out moment (laughs) well we're coming to the end is there anything that I've not mentioned that you would like to talk about not that I can think of but I do appreciate people like you so much that I wish you had been around when I was younger Um, that, you know, encourage women to do things and do things on their own and try things. I think women, I hope the next generation is better about that, but I think women need to be more independent and just try stuff. Yeah. And it's trying stuff, knowing that they don't necessarily have to depend on somebody else to do it with. Like Just as you've said, you went to Antarctica on your own. You can do these things on your own. You are autonomous. You are a person in your own right. You are not a person that's attached to somebody else, even if you're married or in a relationship. You... Yeah, you can do these things on your own. Well, thank you very much for saying that, Terry. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. And I was so excited when you said that, yes, I'll come on to the podcast. I have absolutely been jumping up and down for this particular conversation that we've had. So is there anywhere on social media where people can follow you? I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I will say I don't post a lot, <laughs> but I personally don't seem to post a lot. I do when I go on trips, yeah. but other than that, it's kind of pictures of me paddling down the river. <laughs> oh, because you um, kayak as well, but, don't you? <laughs> yeah, so it's just, right, yes, yes, yes. Oh, I love kayaking. Oh, wow. Lucky enough to live on the river, so yeah, uh, treat for me. Oh, yeah, I'm absolutely. Would you like to tell us what those social media handles are, Instagram and Twitter, please, so people can go and follow you? Sure. It's one is Cherry, just my name, Cherry Hamrick on Facebook. And on Instagram, it's C H A M R I C K. So nothing fancy. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. And I'll, I'll pop that in the show notes as well so that people can link to it there. So I'd just like to end with one thing here. That, and this was something that you had written in your original bio that you sent to me. I thought this would be something wonderful to finish with because this is all about inspiring women to head out of their comfort zone, do something that scares them every day or do something that they didn't think that they were originally capable of. Once you had been to Antarctica, apparently you were giving a presentation and you had said in this presentation about how you didn't think you were able to go because you're a little bit shy, but now that you've made lifelong friends and a woman came to you after the presentation and said how you had inspired her to start traveling again because she thought she was done traveling when her husband died. And I think just knowing that you have inspired somebody there and hopefully 
when people listen to this, a whole heap of other women. It just makes me feel warm and fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was that was wonderful to me. I just couldn't have asked for anything better. Um, the other comment I got about Antarctica was, thank you for going so I don't have to. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so they were living living <laughs> through your adventures. They were living vicariously. <laughs> yes, a lot of people do not want to go to Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sherry, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom, all your wonderful tales. And I'm sure we'll catch up with you again at some point. But thank you very much. Thank you so much. This has been fun reliving all of that. Brilliant. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Well, that was such amazing advice from Cherry. With her daily walking since us recording back a few weeks ago, She's now at 567 days of walking every single day consecutively, no gaps, of at least one mile a day. But I think it's averaging out at about four miles a day. They have covered over 2,000 miles. It's just incredible. She has such a strong history of resilience. And I still can't believe that she is actually 73 years old. In fact, I have an apology to make to Cherry because I know in last week's episode, when I was introducing the next week's episode, I said she was 74. So Cherry, I am so sorry for that. But I so want to bottle her energy and positivity to save for a down day. You know, we all need that sometimes. Or even better, just listen to this episode again to get that fix of Cherry determination and Cherry resolve and cherry adventure mindset. It's just amazing. As she said, everything she does is an adventure. And what a sensible way to treat every single day of your life. I actually asked Cherry after the recording, what's next for her? And her reply was that she'd love to go and see the narwhals, but she realises it's such an expense and there's only one or two places you can go for that experience. I think that's Greenland or Canada. So she says that might have to be a long-term goal. Instead, it might be a trip to Iceland. And I can really see that she is just drawn to cold places. And no wonder her hero was Scott. But I just love Cherry's message about not wanting to live in fear and how her can-do attitude just must rub off on those that she talks to and all those people who surround her. But yes, a true inspiration. Now, I had a great message today. Today is the 3rd of October 2021. And I had a message this morning from Donna, who is a Kiwi living in Australia. And we've had a, a few communications in the past. She was one of my wonderful people that stayed up late or got up really early to watch my Royal Geographical Society micro lecture back in March, which was live. Donna has sent in this week's head right out moment for us to share and celebrate. So I am going to read it pretty much as Donna wrote it to me, because you really need to hear this. A real head right out moment. My then eight-year-old had been doing judo and when she got her yellow belt, she was allowed to go in the interclub competitions. 
And I did the typical parent line of encouraging her to have a go, try your best and just have fun. Given I was at the club with her three times a week and my inner 10 year old was itching to have a go at jumping on crash mats, etc. I started. I got my yellow belt and the first thing my daughter said was that now I could compete at next weekend's interclub competition with a huge expectant look on her face. If I had said no, I would have been the biggest hypocrite out there. But it certainly wasn't my intention to compete. And to top it off, I was up against a young lass who was seriously good, a brown belt. And two weeks later, she won a gold at the national champs. It was a serious adrenaline rush and it started something. Now, I'm just going to interrupt here. There is an amazing photograph of Donna in mid-action and I'm going to post this in the show notes. She goes on to say, my last competition and my first international one was in 2014, the Bali Open. I managed to get a silver medal and was probably the oldest competitor at aged 45. She says, judo gave me the confidence to go do the Camino. So in 2015, I walked the VDLP, which is the Via de la Plata. Not doing judo at the moment, although her message reads, my old coach harasses me every other week. She's got distracted by walking and she needs to get fitter, she says, so she doesn't get injured. And every time I think I might go, there's a damn lockdown. I do love the sport, though, and I binged on the Olympic coverage. (laughs) So do go to the show notes and have a look at the amazing photograph of Donna doing one of her moves. But yeah, it's it's definitely mid-action. If you want to go and have a look at some of the other things that Donna posts, her Instagram handle is Missy Wombat, M-I-S-S-Y Wombat, Missy Wombat. I will pop that link in the show notes as well. So you can all go and have a look. And she posts some beautiful nature photographs and wildlife photographs from around Australia. I think she lives up in the Northern Territory. So yes, do go and check out Donna, Missy Wombat. Okay, so next week we have the incredible Joe Mosley, who, funnily enough, Sarah Williams mentioned in episode three, and I was quietly smiling to myself because I knew that Joe was going to be coming on because I'd already done the interview. Now, Joe is a midlife joy encourager. She's a litter picker and a long distance stand up paddleboarder. So we've already had Helen Jenkins, who is a stand-up paddleboard instructor. Jo, yes, she she fits into the bracket of long-distance stand-up paddleboarding. And she also hosts her own podcast, too. It's so full of positivity, so you really do need to come back next week and listen to that. Now, other little bits and bobs of news that I need to share with you today. So I was in the Simply Supplement magazine by Woman and Home just recently. And unfortunately, although I knew it was coming out at the beginning of September, when I went to find it, I couldn't find it anywhere. So I assumed I wasn't in it. And I I messaged the journalist and she's only just got back to me to say it was in and it's been and gone. So it, it went, I think, 23rd of September was when it disappeared. But I have asked 
to see if I can get a couple of print copies off of Backish or something. It's still exciting. I have got a PDF which I can share. So I'll make those available on my socials and on the website as well for you to have a look at. Also, I've got to say a huge thank you for all the follows and all the downloads. Last week, Head Right Out made it to the number 100 spot ranking in the charts in the UK. And it even made number 56. This is out of 250. It made number 56 in Spain. So everybody is helping me to grow the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. And you can actually do more still by sharing the podcast or talking to friends, telling a friend about the pod. Tell them what you enjoy and share it with others. Let's get head right out to blast interview and make such an impact for the benefit of all the midlife women out there. Okay, right. Well, that's all I have to say, which was actually quite a long reflection this week. But please come back next week for more encouragement to head right out of your comfort zone and into the outdoors, keeping your head right and healthy. See you there. Bye.